you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Okay, good morning, church. We're just going to open up our Bibles um, or your phones. You can get your phones out, take a seat. <laughs> we'll be reading from 2 Kings 22, verse 1 to 2. While you're doing that, I'll introduce myself. I'm Anya. I've been coming to the church for about four years, and I'm a student dietitian. If you want to talk about food, then come see me after church. <laughs> So that's 2 Kings 22, verse 1-2. to two. Josiah reigns in Judah. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedidah, the daughter of Adaiah of Bozkath. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and walked in all the ways of David his father. And he did not turn aside to the right or to the left." We'll now turn to 2 Kings 23, verse 21 to 27. That's 2 Kings 23, verse 21 to 27. Josiah restores the Passover. And the king commanded all the people, Keep the Passover to the Lord your God, as it is written in this book of the covenant. For no such Passover had been kept since the days of the judges who judged Israel or during all the days of the kings of Israel, or of the kings of Judah. But in the 18th year of King Josiah, this Passover was kept to the Lord in Jerusalem. Moreover, Josiah put away the mediums and the necromancers and the household gods and the idols and all the abominations that were seen in the land of Judah and in Jerusalem, that he might establish the words of the law that were written in the book that Hilkiah the priest found in the house of the Lord. Before him there was no king like him, who turned to the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his might, according to all the law of Moses, nor did any like him arise after him. Still the Lord did not turn from the burning of his great wrath, by which his anger was kindled against Judah, because of all the provocations with which Manasseh had provoked him. And the Lord said, I will remove Judah also out of my sight, as I have removed Israel." And I will cast off the city that I have chosen, Jerusalem, and the house of which I said, my name shall be there. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, church. Uh, It's awesome to be with you here this morning. A huge welcome again to all those on the live stream in Hughesdale. Thanks for coming to church, all those who are still online. It is awesome to be with you here this morning. You've done a great, you've made a great decision. You've come to church. Good job this Sunday. And also a bit of a shout out to all those who are maybe watching online with ice packs on their knees who have just come from the Melbourne Marathon. I know we had a couple of uh, people running from this church and I just read on my Strava that Tom Crouch ran the Melbourne Marathon in two hours and 28 minutes. That is ridiculous. That is a 3.30 pace for the runners out there. So let's put our hands together for the, the fit people amongst us. Uh, sorry we weren't here with you this morning. Uh, we weren't idiots. We came to church. Um, 
But a big welcome also to all those who are new and visiting. My name is Pat. I have the absolute privilege of being one of the pastors here at City on a Hill. And it, I, my focus is the community and missions role, which means that it is my job to know you. It's my job to love you. So please make my job easier by introducing yourself to me. Uh, that'd be great. So please find me after the service. I'd love to get to know you. I'd love to love you. And just before we get going, a bit of an announcement. Next week, we have one of the best missional opportunities of the year. It's Christmas. How good is that? So on the 19th, next Sunday, we're going to be celebrating our Christmas service. It'll be a very easy, low-entry service for you to invite your friends, invite your family, especially if they're unfamiliar with church. What an incredible opportunity. Let's uh, fill this hall. Let's fill Hughesdale. Let's fill the live stream with people who don't yet know Jesus, and it'll be awesome to celebrate Christ's birth together. Cool? Um, We're wrapping up our series in the Book of Kings today, 1-2 Kings, so before we get into the Word, I'm going to pray. Pray with me. Father of mercy and might, you have been so kind to us in so many ways. Please, as we approach your Scripture now, may we see you clearly, be convicted and moved by you, and seek to change our lives for you. Amen. Now, some of you know I spent my childhood in the Northern Territory, and that one of the markers, the key markers of the Northern Territory is that no one takes himself seriously whatsoever. Tall poppy, tall poppy syndrome is at its worst up there, but this is kind of like uh, accumulated in the newspapers, the local newspapers. Out of the two of them, one of them is basically satire. It is like the kind of thing that people take home and they, bring, they take home as souvenirs. And if you don't believe me, I'm just going to chuck up a couple of the headlines. And I had to do some serious Googling to get appropriate ones. So the first headline is, the classic bathing in the bath. The, the old, uh, you know, large mammal in the backyard was a common occurrence. Or then you went to the more sinister, man bashed, or man stabbed with a fish. And just to continue, like the aggression of the territory, uh, you have man bashed by a prawn. People really don't like seafood up there. And it's with all this happening that uh, no wonder Obama gets croc insurance. Now, I don't know why that happened. I doubt that it ever did happen. But you can see that it's just a joke of a paper. But one thing that always made headlines, no matter what, were cyclones. Cyclones were a big part of living in the Territory because for a couple of months of the year, we would have sticky tape on our windows in case we lost them in a storm. You'd have a box of supplies on the floor of your house with your birth certificates and your passports and some money in case you lost your house. Because these massive storms, these massive tropical storms, would come through and eliminate half of Darwin. Now, by God's grace, the years living up there, we managed to avoid the more serious ones. There are kind of five categories of cyclone. Category one is like you can almost play outside in it. Category five is leave town, Cyclone Tracy, flatten the whole town. Uh, But one of the most crazy things about being in a cyclone is a couple of days beforehand, it's the rain. It's just rain like you've never seen, like hailstone big rain. It's like someone's opened your tap and it's just been going for five days straight. And then the cyclone front comes in and it's just nuts. It's so powerful. Wind is so powerful. You open your window, everything you know is sideways. Your, neighbor, your trampoline is like in your neighbor's house. There's pool water being pulled out of your pool up into the sky. It's bananas. But then, in the middle, there is this weird stillness, this calm. You can see blue sky. It's like everything's over. 
but you know that the back half of the cyclone is about to come through. This weird stillness, this moment of peace, is what's famously known as the eye of the storm. And in today's passage, we are kind of in the eye of the storm of Judah. A moment of peace before the final onslaught of God's judgment. So let's come to the text with me in 2 Kings 22, verses 1 to 2. We read, Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jediah, the daughter of Adiah of Bozkath. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and walked in the way of David his father, and he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. Now, last week, Nick looked in detail at the first taste of judgment of God through the hands of uh, Jehu, the storm front of the cyclone, if you will. It was bloody, it was confronting, it was full on. But we notice that it wasn't the end of of Judah's rebellion. As Jehu was a vessel of God's judgment on the sins of Ahab and Jezebel, he himself continued to not walk in the ways of the Lord. He himself rebelled again. And king after king who followed Jehu fell into the same patterns. Some pleased the Lord with their reign, like Hezekiah did all right, but most turned turned the nation of Judah to worship idols and false gods, the worst of whom was Manasseh. Now, Manasseh was Josiah's grandfather. He reigned for 50 years in Judah. And during that time, he worshipped false gods worse than the nations who were in Judah before them. He built, erected temples to Baal, the competing god at the time. And it's very easy to think, what's so bad about this? He got worship a little bit wrong. But Manasseh's theology on the Lord wasn't just a little bit shaky. No, he rebuilt altars that his father had sought to tear down. He directly led the people of Judah in the wrong direction. You see, the altars of Baal, they had these massive furnaces in them. And the worshippers of Baal would get them so ragingly hot. And they had these big stone hands outstretched. And once the furnace was hot enough, children would be placed into these furnaces as a worship sacrifice to Baal. On the altars of Baal, Manasseh placed his own sons. This, as you can understand, in the eyes of the Lord, was deplorable. See, God had commanded his people specifically how to live, and the way that Manasseh was leading was not in line with God's will. It was not allowing people to be salt and light to the nations around them. In fact, it was probably the opposite, leading other nations astray. Two generations later, enter Josiah. Judah gets this respite, this eye of the storm moment in the arms of the young king, the good young king. We read that Josiah enters as an eight-year-old who seeks the heart of the Lord. He compares him to David, and which kind of is like saying from the get-go, the author wants us to know this guy is going to be awesome. He's going to be the best king you've had since your like, poster boy, David. And when he's 18, he starts to rebuild the temple, uh, trying to start to undo what his forefathers had done. And he commissions builders to get started. And in their work, we read in chapter uh, chapter 22, Hilkiah the priest finds the book of the law, Deuteronomy. Now, Deuteronomy, which means second law, is a retelling by Moses of the teachings and events of the Exodus, as well as Leviticus and Numbers. It includes an extended review of the Ten Commandments. 
and Moses' farewell address to a new generation of Israelites as they stand on the bank of their new land, ready to, to take possession of it. That new land is where Josiah is now standing. That new land is where Josiah is now the king. That new land is what God has promised them. And Moses reminds them throughout the book of Deuteronomy of God's faithfulness and of his love, but also of God's wrath on the previous generations because of their rebellion. Repeatedly and repeatedly, he charges Israel throughout the book to keep the law. Deuteronomy is a solemn call to love and obey the one true God. There are blessings for faithfulness and, of course, curses for unfaithfulness. So Hilkiah takes the book of the law and reads it in front of Josiah. Now, there are two responses that Josiah could have had. First would be to ignore it and continue to lead uh, Judah as his country, leading it in his way, with his worldly priorities, like his father and his father and his father. Or the second is what happens, as we see Josiah repents. 2 Kings 22, verse 11, When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. You see, when the book of the law, when God's word is read, hearts and minds have the opportunity to change, and that's exactly what happens to Josiah. God, in his grace, in his mercy, and in his wisdom, keeps on extending himself to us through his word. So we can see through the fog of our own sin, reach out and grab him. And Josiah, that seems to be what happens to him right here. Josiah has his heart changed so much by the word of the Lord that he tears his clothes in repentance. He then seeks wisdom from Hilda the prophetess of the spiritual state of Israel. She tells the king's people some hard news, that God's just wrath and judgment is coming against the nation of Judah because of their continued idolatry on the previous kings and this judgment is going to happen through a horrible, horrible disaster. The call was made, the prophetess made it really clear, God was going to bring final judgment on Judah. Yet still, Josiah pushes forward with reform out of a repentant heart. Now, I think this shows a glimpse into the heart of Josiah's actual repentance. It wasn't about turning away from an angry God because he was going to bring disaster, was it? Rather, it was turning to God in worship because the book of Deuteronomy had told him that is who he's meant to be. That is who Judah was meant to be. And I think this is a great example of true repentance, real repentance. Thomas Watson, a 17th century Puritan pastor, aka Mr. Fun Guy, uh, claimed that there were two types of repentance in this world and in Scripture. You have counterfeit repentance and real repentance. Counterfeit repentance is cheap repentance. It seeks to leave out much of what is on offer from God. This kind of repentance comes from a legal terror, a fear of God. I must turn or I'm going to be punished. This alone is an element of counterfeit repentance. See, Ahab, the terrible king, he feared God. He had some remorse, but he didn't have repentance. Judas, who betrayed Jesus, feared God but didn't have repentance. Another kind of false repentance is leaving sin behind because it hurts you. This is the classic waking up with a hangover and deciding never to drink again because it just hurts so much to drink. 
See, when we're hurt by sin, it's not enough that, uh, to turn our, for that to turn our hearts away in true repentance. You see, that's just being a pain avoider. It's not true repentance. All throughout the book of Kings, in fact, throughout the whole Old Testament, we have moment of, after moment of counterfeit repentance. Pharaoh in Exodus turns to God in sorrow and releases the Israelites because of the pain that he is feeling at the hands of the judgment of God. That is not true repentance. He still has a hard heart toward God. Here in Josiah's heart, however, we get a glimpse of what could be true repentance repentance on that side of the cross. We see that he sees his sin, he has sorrow for his sin, he confesses his sin, he has shame for his sin, he has a hatred towards his sin, and then he finally turns away from his sin. And this is what Watson calls the six ingredients for true repentance. So let's have a look at them now. It starts with the sight of sin. Josiah's first element of true repentance is that he actually sees his sin. He looks at the book of Deuteronomy, he looks at the life of his people, and he sees the disconnect between the two, right? And the second is the sorrow of sin. As we've seen, he tears his clothes over the sorry state of Israel and Judah and him. This sin moves him to discomfort which leads him to the confession of skin in 22.18. Josiah confesses that his people and he haven't been living in the ways in step with the Lord. Instead, he brings it to God in tears, in confession. Naturally then, there is a shame for sin, a shame in 22.19 that God sees so tenderly. And penultimately, there's a hatred for sin. Josiah's hatred for the way that Judah is living is clear. His discontentment with the nation's idol worship is so clear. It leaves no room to question if there was a part of him that was still clinging to that sinful nature, nature that he once loved. And lastly, there is a very stark turning from sin. Following God's words, Josiah starts to reform the nation destroying the things in his life and the life of his nation that are causing them to stumble. He takes out the things that are the issue. You see, Josiah has real repentance. His heart was then opened for reform and revival. Watson goes on, I think very poetically, to say that a piece of lead, when fully formed, is no good for moulding. But take that lead melt a town and you can cast it into any mould. A heart hardened by sin is no good for anything. However, a heart softened in repentance is a powerful thing. Josiah's heart was softened when he heard the word of the Lord and with his soft heart he was able to try and reform Judah. So church, the obvious question is, what is the state of your heart right now? Is it being hardened by sin or is it being softened by the great grace that is repentance? Since sin is deeper than bad behaviour, trying to do better isn't the solution for us, is it? Only the good grace of Jesus that changes our hearts can rescue us. The gift of repentance that is only found in Jesus is the only thing that can alleviate you from yourself. Are you content at the moment with a cheap counterfeit repentance that makes you fear God? Or is your heart being softened by real repentance that is marked by grace 
not by works. We then see in chapter 23, 21 to 25, a great summary of what Josiah did in light of his repentant heart. We read of Josiah's reform. So turn with me there. And the king commanded the people, keep the Passover to the Lord your God as it is written in the book of the covenant. For no such Passover has been kept since the days of judges who judged Israel or during all the days of the kings of Israel or the kings of Judah. But in the 18th year of King Josiah, the Passover was kept to the Lord in Jerusalem. Moreover, Josiah put away the mediums, the necromancers, the household gods, all the idols and all the abominations that were seen in the land of Judah and in Jerusalem, that he might establish the words of the law that were written in the book that Hilkiah the priest found in the house of the Lord. Before him there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his might, according to the law of Moses, nor did any arise after him. See, Josiah keeps up his good reforming ways, not just by repenting in his own heart, but by instilling sweeping reforms all across Judah. And reinstilling festivals like the Passover was an act of trying to have people see the mercy of God through their history, and destroying the altars was his way of getting the people to be able to see straight. See, the Passover hadn't been celebrated since the days of the judges. So even in the glory days of David and Solomon, Israel had disconnected themselves with the story of their forefathers. All the actions that Josiah did in his reforms were seeking to re-establish the covenant between God and his people. See, Josiah led the nation really, really well, reforming the ways that they were living, hoping for a deep turnaround. The false teachers were cast out, the false temples destroyed, the Passover was back, baby, it was good. The book of Kings, Josiah gets like a 9 out of 10, maybe even a 10 out of 10. So like Hezekiah was really good, but Josiah was better. King David, he was like the David Beckham poster boy. Josiah was like the young Justin Bieber, like coming in and even greater than Beckham before. Josiah was simply the best king there ever was. And I guess that could be the end of the Bible, right? Close your books, get the band up, chuck into some reform, good king, be done with it. Maybe they all lived happily ever after. But we know from verse 26, still the Lord did not turn from the burning of his great wrath by which his anger was kindled against Judah because of the provocations with which Manasseh had provoked him. And the Lord said, I will remove Judah also out of my sight as I have removed Israel. And I will cast off this city that I've chosen, Jerusalem, and the house of which I said, my name shall be there. Josiah was the best king, but it was all too late. The nuclear missile of God's judgment had been launched in the time of Manasseh. Nothing, not even this bright, shining star, Josiah, could stop it. The light of revival was extinguished by Josiah's foolish attempt to meddle in a war between Egypt in the south and Babylon in the north. The book of Chronicles makes it clear to us that the reason why Josiah went into this war is because he, he also ignored the word of the Lord, bringing him from a 10 to a 9. And so it ended for him in Medigo, with the blood of Israel's best king, Josiah, dripping on the floor of his chariot, just as it did with Ahab, one of Israel's worst kings. 
And then came the onrushing darkness of God's judgment. This is a cyclone, category five, as bad as it gets. That judgment comes in the form of the nation of Babylon destroying Jerusalem twice, bringing Judah to its knees, never to be seeing a king again. But why did that happen? Why did God bring this judgment? Because Judah had a pattern of counterfeit repentance and an obsession with idol worship, just like us. See, the kings that followed Josiah turned the country back to the old ways of worship and that ju- then the judgment came. Jehoiakim, Josiah's son, had the exact same opportunity. He had the Word of God brought to him and he had the opportunity to turn and repent. But instead, arrogantly, rather than tearing his clothes, he tore the words and dropped them into fire. His son, Jehoiachin, was the king of Babylon when it was, uh, sorry, was the king of Jerusalem when Babylon sacked the first time and he was carried off as a prisoner as, along with 10,000 of Judah's biggest, bestest and strongest. Zedekiah ended up being the last king of Judah who tried to rebel against Babylon. The whole city was surrounded, Jerusalem. They were starved, the men, the women and the children. The king was captured, his sons tortured and murdered in front of him. He had his eyes gouged out and then he was led off in chains to Babylon to be executed there. The walls of Jerusalem were pulled down, the temple of God was burnt to the ground and the city was flattened in ashes, just with a tiny remnant of Judeans staying there. God's judgment on Judah, God had a judgment of Ju- on Judah through the agency of the nation of Babylon and it was horrible. See, if this was the end of the book of Kings, if this was the is this, is this was where the series left us, it should make us feel slightly uncomfortable. It looks like Israel lost. See, One and Two Kings is kind of like a German movie. I don't know if you're familiar with German cinema, but it's always known for being like heavy, really depressing, like a big twist and everybody dies in the last scene. And you work out, walk out of the cinema and you kind of go like, why did I just see that? And that's how you would feel if this really was the last chapter of the Bible, Bible, wouldn't you? It's depressing. And on the one hand, for the original readers, the book has these depressing connotations because it would somewhat explain why you are now in exile in Babylon. But we read on this side of Jesus. We read through many different lenses and we see that good King Josiah is a foretaste to Jesus. That because God unleashed a Category 5 judgment on Judah, God has a Category 6 love for His people. See, 1-2 Kings ends with no King of Judah, but it does end with a glimmer of hope. Jehoiachin, who was carried off to Babylon as a prisoner, is actually released after 37 years, never to become a king again, but he had a son, and his son had a son. And his son had a son, had a son, so on and so forth for 12 generations until Joseph, a descendant of Josiah, who was a descendant of David, had a little baby boy named Jesus. See, Josiah was an amazing king for Judah, but he could only give Judah a taste of what was going to be on offer in Christ. 
when we compare Josiah and Jesus, we see this striking comparison. Josiah sought the Lord as a child, but Jesus had to be in his father's house. Josiah humbled himself, but Jesus humbled himself to become a man. Josiah obeyed the word of God, but no one obeyed the word of God like Jesus, even obedient to death on a cross. Josiah renewed the covenant, but couldn't save the people from his curses. Jesus inaugurated a new covenant and dealt with the curse of death forever. Josiah celebrated the Passover, but the Lord Jesus gave his body as the perfect Passover lamb to inaugurate an even greater rescue. Jesus would live the perfect, flawless life, not a good life, the perfect life. And he would, and at the end of it, because God so loved the world and because God is a God of promises, there would be a king in Judah again. But what would the world do to this perfect king? We read in Matthew 27, verses 27. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters and they granted, and they gathered the whole battalion before them. And they stripped him and they put a scarlet robe on him and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head, put a reed in his right hand and kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him and they took a reed and they struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and they put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. Israel had been demanding a king since 1 Samuel so they could be like the other nations. And for centuries after centuries, they had failure after failure until they got the perfect King Jesus who offered fullness of life and right relationship with God who they handed over to be beaten, to be mocked, in the, murdered in the most horrible way possible. God loves us so much that He sent His only Son, Jesus, to take on the wrath that we deserve. Jesus lived the perfect life that we couldn't live and He died the, per- the ultimate death that we really should have died. The judgment of God came upon Judah in the hand of Babylon, but the judgment upon us for our sin comes on the body of Jesus because of the never-stopping, unfathomable, all-powerful, irresistible grace of God. Josiah was spared deserved judgment in his death, but Jesus took on undeserved judgment. For what? For you. See, I haven't been living in step with God. I see that when I read His Word and when I look at my life. You haven't been living in step with God. You see that when we read His Word and look at your life. There is a disconnect between the Word of God and the reality of our lives. We lead lives of lust, of greed, of envy, as opposed to generosity, humility and love like God calls us to. But church, we have never gone too far or done too much to separate ourselves from Jesus. God right now is reaching out to you. He's inviting you to fullness of life in Him. If you're sitting there right now and thinking, I have gone too far, Jesus' death wasn't for me, have full hope, have full assurance that through the blood of Jesus Christ, you are reconciled to God on the cross. Church, this is the absolute day, this is the day that you can listen to the first words of Jesus' ministry and follow it. Repent and believe. 
See, in Jesus, true repentance exists. Not, I don't want to be hurt repentance, not pain avoidance repentance, but repentance is running to the cross, taking off your crown of your kingdom, laying it at the foot of the cross, and living for the better and more beautiful King, Jesus. Like King Josiah, we can come to God lamenting that we are part of something that is broken. But unlike Josiah, we have fullness of relationship and assurance with God on offer through His Son, Jesus Christ. Because in Jesus, you can be a safe and secure, fully known and fully loved child of God today. Because in Jesus, you don't have to have the mask of trying to impress us. You don't have to impress us with your competence, with your works, with your togetherness. We don't care. He doesn't care. Jesus sees your mess. He offers to reach into your mess and to help you in your mess. Please give it to Him. Church, I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to pray for anyone in this room that is willing to join me in true repentance right now. If that's you, feel free to kneel, feel free to put your hand up, feel free to close your eyes, feel free to stand, do whatever. But let's bring all our sin, all our shame to the cross of Christ. And after we pray... The band's going to lead us in another song. We're going to sing. But I'm going to be down the front. If you want to come and chat about real repentance, if you want to chat about a relationship with Jesus, I'll be here. I'll be really keen to chat. This could be the thousandth, thousandth time you've put your faith in Jesus or it could be the first. But I encourage you, let's come to Jesus with real repentance. Please come to Jesus in freedom. Let's pray. Oh, merciful Father, we just thank you so much for the cross. Father, we look at our lives like Josiah and we realize that there is such a disconnect between what you call us to be and what we are. Father, thank you so much that in Jesus we see this opportunity, this offer to actually be who we're meant to be, be who we're called to be, take the pressure off trying to work our way into heaven, but actually putting on what Jesus has done for us. So Father, may we again today reinstate our trust to you. May we live for you, not only today, but tomorrow. And Father, may we tomorrow, may we not try to do it on our works again like we have today, but may we keep on every day putting our faith and our trust and our love in you. Father, we turn to you in true repentance. Identify our sin for us. Help us to see it clearly. Help us to be able to take it out of our lives. Help us to be able to change and become who we are meant to be, that is, children of you. Lord, I pray for anybody in this room, anybody at Hughesdale, anybody online who is feeling disconnected from you, please, Father, bring them into your family. Have them to know that full assurance, full comfort, and full grace is on offer in your Son, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.